I saying that results are not important? Oh, no, I get it. I'm a capitalist. I totally get it. But results are half the leader's job. And the other half is that respect piece. And if there's not equal time, commitment, attention paid to making people feel like they're they belong, like like they're important, like we can't do this without you, then then the whole business relationship changes. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Lomitech, and sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Upwest, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, and Birthright Excel, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Let's talk about good, and good comes first. To meet Chris Edmonds, president and CEO and founder of the Purposeful Culture Group and co-author of Good Comes First. For decades, talented people have tolerated old school leaders who put results before respect, toxic company cultures, and workplaces that suck. But those days are over, and if leaders want to attract and retain the best employees while improving productivity, customer service, employee satisfaction, and profits, it's time for them to create work cultures where good comes first. The problem is that because the corporate world has too often been driven primarily by results, we seldom ask leaders to change their work cultures. Even if we did, most leaders don't have know-how. This book provides the actionable inspiration and practical direction needed to make that changes happen. In Good Comes First, Chris and his co-author Mark Babbitt present proven strategies that help senior leaders define, align, and refine a purposeful, positive, and productive work cultures. Cultures where good comes first for employees, customers, leaders, and stakeholders, and where improved business outcomes quickly follow. Chris Edmonds, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing very well, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity. No, this is so exciting because we're going to talk about something that I've been, you know, thinking about constantly. And, you know, I think that a lot of people from my generation are talking about it a lot. I'm seeing a lot of my friends as engineers, as they're going into companies, thinking about, you know, culture and what's happening. I'm looking at a lot of the early stage founders that I work with and what they're looking at. And, and we're going to talk about what's written on your shirt. Good comes first. Tell me what, what does that even mean? That is the title of my upcoming book with my colleague, Mark Babbitt. The book has been in the works for five years. We've wow. been writing it for three. It releases on Tuesday, the 28th of September. So, so here and we are. Venus Williams wrote the forward, one of my, <laughs> one of my childhood idols until today. And, and still a hero today. That's a cool story. But yes, yeah, she uh, reached out to me about three wow. years ago and said, I've got these two small companies and I think our culture can use some improvement. So I've been working with them for, shoot, about about year and a half, two years now. Incredible. Incredible. Okay. Chris, three years of writing, five years in the works. What what does good comes first mean? What What does that mean? You know what, what the foundational idea is simple to say, given all the interesting norms in organizations, and we'll talk about that in a bit, some of the interesting ways that leaders manage businesses, it doesn't create an environment where employees, associates, team members are honored, validated, and treated with respect. It just is not common. In fact, we have typically the opposite that is much, much more common. And so, 
The book is about helping leaders actually take change steps that we promise work if you follow through, right? Because most change efforts kind of, they start with a bang and then pretty quickly they, they fizzle out because it's hard work to do. But the idea around good comes first is that if your employees are treated well, respect, validation, they will increase problem solving. They will be much, much happier. They will work more cooperatively together. They will wow your customers in really good ways. And not surprisingly, and we've got the proof, results go up, profits go up, if that's one of your things. So, I mean, it, it sounds intuitive. Happy workers, happy company, win-win all around. Why is it so hard? Why do people come to you and say, Chris, we need help? Yep. What's, what's very interesting is to have a perspective I've got a lot of birthdays under my belt, and I've had some really great bosses and some really awful bosses. And I started to look, and this was 50 years ago, sorry, when I really got into the workforce after after school and realized, okay, I, I, I've seen some patterns here. So what are the patterns of good bosses? Duh. What are the patterns of lousy bosses? And the issue why our, why Gallup's wonderful engagement data has remained for 30 years at about 30, 33%, we might peak at 35. That means 60 plus percent of the population is not engaged, is not happy. And so our foundational principle is you've got to make values as important as results. You must make respect on equal par as performance and profits. And and the reason why that hasn't been the case is many of us have had leaders who are still deeply immersed in industrial age thinking. I'm the boss. You'll do what I tell you to do. You know, no, you can't have flexible hours. No, you can't go out and work out during the lunch hour, right? It is a very command and control kind of mindset. And, and what has been very interesting for me in the last been doing this about 30 years, but the last 10 years, as younger generations begin to get plugged into formal leadership responsibilities, the reason why those folks get plugged into a role is because they sound like their boss. They behave like their boss. They make the same decisions and the same, they fear the same things. And so in essence, we've got this, we've got this virus. That's a terrible thing to say today, I know. We call it BMS, boomer male syndrome, which is that, and again, it's two old white guys talking about the, the problems with too much old school thinking, too much command and control thinking. If you've got boomer male syndrome, you may be inhibiting people bringing their best selves to work, having fun at work, doing the creative problem solving. So the norms that are still embedded when did we get into the social age? I think I did my first website in 1995. We wow. are still holding on to those classic command and control norms from, from leaders. And, and those aren't the organizations that Gen Zs and Gen Xs want to work for. That's not where they want to go. That's, that's going to inhibit their creativity and the flexibility right. that, that many of those generations uh, truly appreciate. 
But it can't be, you know, trivial or black and white, right? I mean, every organization requires a different type of leadership, every type of workplace, every type of job. You know, some of them require a more micromanagement. Some of them require more creativity. So how, how can I as a leader, team leader, CEO, whatever, how can I then, you know, rationalize through what is the best form of leadership that I can exert with my team so that we can reach the best results? Well, we go to two different places with that, Michael, and it's a great question because we have a tendency as leaders to kind of stay in our own bubble, right? Do yep. our thing. We're getting feedback from limited places, and and we may not be able to see the overall picture, which is that do people feel respected here? Do they feel valued here? So that's an interesting bias. Am I saying that results are not important? Oh, no, I get it. I'm a capitalist. I totally get it. but. Results are half the leader's job. And the other half is that respect piece. And if there's not equal time, commitment, attention paid to making people feel like they're, they belong, like, like they're important, like we can't do this without you, then, then the whole business relationship changes. And one of the folks that we, I was just thinking about this this morning, we're getting ready to send off books, Michael. We have books printed well in advance of launch date, which is really cool. But we interviewed Robert Passan, who is the CEO at Radio Flyer. Now, Radio Flyer is Little Red Wagons, been around for a while, since the 20s. But we were so taken by the way that their employees on Glassdoor, because because that, that's a great way to get data. You know, what, what are good companies? Where are companies that uh, that employees feel like they they love their bosses? And you wouldn't believe the testimonials that these employees were providing. You know, a year and a half ago, in the middle of having to shut down, and how do we do this? And how do we team? And how do we produce stuff? And and so we were so taken by the focus that Robert had taking over his grandfather's company. To be able to say, the only way people are going to give their best in this kind of creative environment is if they feel trusted, if they feel honored, if they feel valued. And he's and his team have built a remarkable organization. So over the years, we've been able to take practices from best bosses. And and let me see if I can get very tactical, because I know we have 20 minutes. We need to get to the point. One of the ways that we coach leaders to get their cultures a bit more back in line, a bit more civil, maybe even a bit more respectful, is to begin defining these desirable values like honesty or integrity in tactical terms. So as you say, some jobs need micromanagement. Well, every job needs micromanagement of respectful treatment. And it means that we need to help you Define values in observable terms. So if you go out into one of your, one of the companies that you work with and invite people to define integrity, classic value, how many answers are you going to get? You might get 10. You might get 30 because, well, in this case, it does this, but in that, we need to decide exactly what our integrity value looks like. So, and as you can imagine, many clients that come to us, they say, we want to have an integrity value. Okay, let's talk about what that looks like. What are people doing consistently that you can see, that you can hear, that you can watch? And so one of the very common behaviors we coach leaders to use around integrity is, I do what I say I will do. 
now we've shifted from this vague relationships, but results, results, results to, I keep my promises. If I make a promise, right. I follow up on it. Then that, let's call it a desirable characteristic, gets rated twice a year by that person's direct reports. Now we're moving from an exclusive well, let's call it pipeline of performance data that gets evaluated day in and day out and analyzed and scrutinized and people unhappy to say, you can't work here unless you treat people with respect, with integrity. And this is what we mean by that. And we're going to measure it. And as you can see, what that does is it gives leaders firm ground to build an uncompromising culture upon, instead of hoping people all know what I mean by respect or what I mean by excellence. That makes a lot of sense. But how can I, as a leader, know that I even have a problem, right? I mean, one of the big issues that, that I know leaders are facing is that, you know, those surveys that are being sent out to employees, you know, that we, we don't necessarily get, get all the right information there. And how, and I, as a leader, I'm so subjective to what I know already and what my own People are already telling me, how can I actually know whether, you know, there's poop where I'm, where I'm at, right? I mean, that, that's the bottom line where we want to get to. Well, we, we talk about truth tellers for all leaders. Having people that you can trust who will call you on your crap is a really good thing. Yeah. And we need, and we need a, a pretty good sized tribe of truth tellers because everyone's going to have a different viewpoint of a different facet of the business and a different facet of the norms, right? And, and the operational kinds of, of biases that we have that we may not see. But you're right. Employee surveys don't often get followed up on. They often, too often don't get shared. So we're big believers in the, in the survey thing and, and kind of the, the constant fingers on the pulse. And so we coach leaders to number one, if you're seeing performance issues, if you're seeing frustration issues, and of course, here we are in the middle of post pandemic or maybe not, right? Is there a hybrid workplace? Is it remote? Are, are kids going to be able to go to school? We're still from a social standpoint. There's, it's not just the workplace that gets our attention anymore. There's a lot of stuff going on, and a lot of it isn't fun. And so leaders need to be bold to say, tell me how we're doing. How am I doing? Tell me what drives you nuts. And then be able to look at that data and go, oh, well, that's good, that's good, that's good, uh-oh. And then be able to say, guys, here's what you told me. Now, now, as you can imagine, we just talked about leaders being in a bubble. That bubble gets reinforced every day. And there's no time to think about morale surveys, right? That's like we've got stuff to do and it's September and it's what, right? And so if you are interested in, and this is, this is an avenue we really lay heavily into, and it goes back to generational differences, if you maintain an environment where leaders are disconnected, they don't care, they can be demeaning and dismissing, but they never inquire, then those younger generations are not going to tolerate that. And they're going to find organizations where they're a partner. We talk about co-creating the culture because everybody's got an experience. Let's make it that tribal piece again, by the way, that language is from Gary Ridge's team at WD-40 company. And, and he brought in the tribe stuff 20 years ago, and it has really immensely changed a very important global brand. So leaders have to be able to invite feedback that may not be pretty. 
and then realize that, you know, if my organization as a whole isn't undergoing this good comes first effort, I can do it with my own team. And so we provide some very tactical, simple things like ground rules, right? I remember one team said that, that their most important ground rule was not to cuss. And it's and everybody laughed. And I said, okay, so how are you going to hold each other accountable? Because that's the big piece. You can invent any rule. But if the rules aren't followed, they're really not helping the culture get calmer and more fun and more engaging. I think that makes a lot of sense. Can you maybe share with me, you know, a, a specific example of where you've worked with a company and you sort of dissected what happened there and, 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 you know, came up with that there was this issue, but, but through, through a different mindset of leadership where good comes first, you're able to achieve some different results. I do. And of course I have NDAs with all my clients. So I'll be, I'll be right. a little bit more broad with this one, but this was a fun one. This was a, uh, let's talk about uh, a major retailer across the globe. And we started with this VP who had three states. And over the course of the partnership, he moved his his region to seven states. And so we're talking about a lot of stores and a lot of employees. But their work actually, and one of the interesting challenges can be in a, in a, in a quote, multinational, multi-state, multi-region, you know, again, the bubble the bubble gets thicker, and you, and you've got to be able to connect to the entire organization. And they did a great job. They defined their values. They had too many behaviors. I coached them that thirty two behaviors was too many, and they said, "No, we got this," and it worked great. But every morning in their stores, there's a manager led kind of team meeting to say, here's what's happening, here's what's coming, yada, yada, yada. They started talking about the valued behaviors in those meetings at those stores. And what happened was in, I think, the first engagement survey that was run by corporate, um, their region gained 40% compared to the rest wow. of the organizational norm, 40% gains in engagement. And as you might guess, there were commensurate gains in customer service because now all of a sudden I'm working with an organization that's saying, be nice to people, right? This is our job. We're trying to help people get what they need for the day. And, and customer service rankings went up 40%. Wow. And in that same time frame, their results improved by 30%. Now, some of those results weren't all profitability targets. They had a lot of other targets, but retention attraction of the right people. All of these things began to, and it took about 12 months to get traction. But over the next year, next 12 months, they had tremendous, tremendous impact. And this can happen in small companies like Venus Williams. It can happen in huge multinationals like World Kitchen. And it can happen, more importantly, in your team and and if it happens in your team, trust me, that's going to be mostly your doing. You have to kind of change your mindset a bit. And I'll go back to the classic. If managing results is half your job, don't leave the other half to chance, right? Let's manage respect as well. Amazing. I love it. Now, uh, Chris, I, I'd, I'd love to take you back a little bit you know, to your own childhood, your own upbringing. You know, before you study this, before you go into this whole world, what are you really, what are you really fascinated by? What really sparks your curiosity? 
One of the pieces that, that was interesting in, in my household growing up, uh, my dad was a, a mortgage banker, and um, he actually became the commissioner of real estate in the state of California from 1980 to 1988. So this was a while back. But he inherited his father's mortgage company. And and what, of course, I was offered to do was to go work at my dad's office. Yep. So you know, I was 10. Right. I was eight or wow. nine or 10. But at some, either it's DNA, right, or my own experiences, I've always been an observer. And it's observing the human condition, yes. But I also then immediately judge what I see, which some other humans have that same tendency, right? And it can be, and of course, as I, as I traveled so much, I would go through airports and go, is that how you decided to dress yourself to fly today? And I'm thinking it constantly, right? So, but what was interesting going into my dad's organization was I began seeing relationships and it was relationships between bosses and followers. And sometimes the followers knew everything about what, you know, to get done. And they were mostly just frustrated at their bosses telling them to go do something that was wrong. And I'm like, that's interesting. So, I believe that, and the other piece of this, and I've got a guitar hanging over my shoulder, I'm a musician on the side, which makes no money whatsoever, (laughs) but a band is very much a, a microcosm of culture. And so if you don't have band members that are skilled and civil, oh, it gets interesting. And I'm now old enough to say in this band, I'll quit before I put up with another drama queen of any size, gender, etc. <laughs> I love so it's it, Chris. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. And I and I can't wait to to read the book myself. And 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 I I think this is so timely and, and so so important and amazing. And and so I'm really excited to dive deep into this myself. What are a few words that you would use to describe yourself? I am I am definitely a a driver to serve others and 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 because i've been in the training development consulting industry for so long that's really my core drive is is we can we can behave independently and it works for a while or it works for only a a couple of of miles <laughs> maybe it works for a decade but we're we are we are on this planet with a whole bunch of other folks and and if we get along Hmm. We might be able to make some changes in poverty and understanding across cultural borders and assumptions. I think we've got a long way to go as a, as a population here. Uh, but if it starts small, I mean, people spend what 50, 60 hours a week at work. Um, this is the stuff that drives me. And uh, I'll, I, I think it. I am convinced over the years that I've changed more people's lives with the consulting side than the music side, but who knows? <laughs> Chris, thank you very, very much for your time. I can't wait to read the book. Thank you for everything. Uh, This is fascinating and stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Again, enjoyed speaking with you. Of course. Thank you. 